you simply interested in learning more about the scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The virtual Bible study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381 4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 2nd, 2012. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Looking forward to our study tonight. All right. You look better than you did last week. I wasn't here last week. You didn't look at all last week. Yeah, I wasn't here last week. So, I mean... What do they say? You know, you have a face for radio. Yeah. So I was in better shape last week when I was just yeah. right. I was just joining you by audio, not video. Well, good to have you back. And Thanks. Good to have our listeners with us tonight as well. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the way that you can give us a call and join in on the discussion. It's toll free tonight. And the questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. The chat window is open to the right of your viewing window. We don't have to go over. All of the details on that. Hopefully you know how to sign in and uh, join in the conversation there. Anthony Petrachko is behind the board tonight. Anthony, uh, thanks for being here tonight. Oh, well, there you go. I'm here. Okay, well, thanks, and looking forward to a a really good and interesting study tonight. Looking forward to it as well. Well, the topic tonight. Well, you know, Jacob, I got to do a little research in our archives and found out that to the best of my ability to discern, we've never spent a whole episode of the Virtual Bible Study talking about the Lord's Supper. And so I thought that would be a worthy discussion for us this week. There's a lot to talk about. There are some controversial elements. Even some uh, good, faithful, conservative brethren have some differences on certain aspects of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get into some of those. I'm not... I'm not uh, imagining that we can settle in everybody's mind some of the questions that have, you know, been at controversy through the years. Unfortunately, this has even been a divisive subject, mm-hmm. and there have been con- congregations that have divided over the subject of the Lord's Supper and some of the aspects of observing it. We're going to talk about some of that, but we're, we're going to we'll give some opinion. We'll give some, well, hopefully some scripturally based uh, considerations. Let people draw their conclusions. All right. Let us know your thoughts as we consider some questions you posed earlier today. To our update list earlier today, I always remind you, get on that list if you're not. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com, and we'll put you on the list. Just say, put me on the list in the subject line. Here's the questions we send out about noon or shortly after noon today. Number one, concerning the Lord's Supper, what things are essential in regards to the outward physical corporate observance? In other words, what does the local congregation need to do? What what things does the local congregation need to be sure are in place so that there is a scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper? Okay. And then, as an individual, the other part of that question, what's essential in regards to me as an individual Christian? If I'm going to partake of it in a right way, what do I need to be doing? So there are some things that have to be have to be in place. The congregation needs to ensure that certain aspects are in place. But then it's up to me to do certain things so that I personally am doing the right thing when it comes to Lord's Supper. So we want to talk about both aspects of that. Okay. All right. Number two, what's the best argument that you have in support, uh, in support of observing the Lord's Supper every Sunday? And now there's an assumption in the question that you believe that we should observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday. If you don't think that we should, then by all means send us your reasoning on that. But okay. we're, we're, we're basing the question on the assumption that the majority of our view, listeners and viewers will agree with us that we think we should be taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday. How would you argue that? What's what's your your reasoning? Then, as a follow-up to that question, one of the criticisms we get when we say we should observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday is some people say, oh, man, if you if you do it every Sunday, it just becomes commonplace. It loses its, it loses its very emotional significance. You know, okay. it becomes common and regular and just sort of a, a, a rote habit that nobody really thinks about and loses its power. How, how do you answer people? If you if you believe in a weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, how do you answer those who say doing it every Sunday diminishes its significance? Okay. Then number three, we want to quick, fairly quickly deal with the question of one cup. I'm, I, I'm not sure that anybody who's listening believes in a one cup observance of the Lord's Supper. There may be some. If so, great. We'd be glad to hear yep, from you. Yep. Uh, we do have one listener, in the past we have, who believes this way. If that's the case, 
what's the reasoning for the one cup? Must we observe the one cup? Uh, is it right or wrong? And we'll talk about some reasons why. Okay. And then, number four. Number four, finally. The, and this is one of the also controversial aspects of the Lord's Supper. What about the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening? Right. Uh, some people will oppose it. Tell us why. Some people will support it. Tell us why. And we'll try to spend, hopefully we can spend uh, uh, the last segment of the program trying to deal with that question. Uh, you've got uh, four, seg- four questions here that could be a whole program in and of themselves. Yeah, there's a lot here. There's a lot so here. We'll, we'll move fast and uh, look forward to hearing from you. We've got uh, responses via email from four listeners and our our most faithful correspondent, Chris from Atlanta, has uh, chimed in again tonight as well. I, I think Chris probably, I'd like to know the number of weeks that he has consecutively sent in his responses. I think he's got a long string going here. Chris, you're the best, man. Way to go. Uh so uh, let's let's dig in. Number one, what things have to be in place? First of all, congregationally, what things have to be in place to make it so that individual worshipers can do their part in observing the Lord's Supper? What does the church have to have in place? All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Chris, uh, let's start with him in Atlanta. The Lord's Supper consists of unleavened bread. Jesus instituted this during the Passover, and they would have had unleavened bread, Matthew 26, 26 through 28, and fruit of the vine. Uh, Luke 22, verse 18. So he's saying you've got to have the right elements. You've got to have unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Some people might ask the question, why does it have to be unleavened bread? In never fact, specified. Never, ever specified. It, in the New Testament, it's not specified that it's unleavened bread. It just talks about the bread. And there are some groups, and even some in churches of Christ that I've been hearing about are using big loaves of bread. Mm. Big, you know, you just tear off a big Big like hunk. a subway kind, or of? maybe like a big loaf of Italian bread or something. Ooh, yeah. you know, get a get a yeah. big and get a big bunch of bread. You know, a big glass of juice. You know, they they've they've criticized us for pinching a cracker and sipping a thimble. Mm-hmm. You know that that we don't we don't take enough. Now that, again, there's no reference to how much what quantity of these elements must be consumed by each worshiper, but they are the right elements. I don't think that a, a loaf of leavened bread would be right because I think, as Chris says, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper during the Passover. We know that in the Passover observance, I can give you a couple references here, Jacob, Exodus 12, 8 through 20, Deuteronomy sixteen thirty-eight. the Jews had to rid their households of all leaven agents yes. during the Passover observance. And so we can be sure that what Jesus used was unleavened bread. Therefore, to imitate his example as closely as we can, we're going to use unleavened bread. Well, John in uh, Oklahoma echoes your sentiment. He says it was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that Jesus instituted the feast. Therefore, the bread used by Christ when he said, do this, was unleavened bread. Okay. All right. And uh, so appreciate uh, those comments. And uh, through the vine also as Jesus instituted, as uh, Chris notes here in his email. He also says it should be done together, Acts 20, verse 7, and Acts 2, verse 42. I think that's an important aspect of the Lord's Supper, and, I, and I've had people disagree with me about that, but I do think, as Chris says, that it must be done in the assembly. In Acts 20, verse 7, and that's going to be a verse we're going to reference several times in our study. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, the break bread, the breaking bread there, a reference to the Lord's Supper. They came together to do it. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, when, it, when the uh, uh, Corinthian church was addressed about their observance, they were, they were abusing the yes. Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. But in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place... This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying it should have been. The implication is that they were supposed to come together to eat it. It should have been, but it wasn't. Right. And then he says in verse 33, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. So yeah. it seems clear that the Lord's Supper was something done uh, in the assembly. In fact, in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verses 16 and 17, it's called a communion of the body of Christ. Yes. A joint participation of the body. Well, the church. So I, I I would agree with Chris, and I think it's essential. The, the the reason why I think that point needs to be made is I have known people who said, well, I couldn't go to church Sunday, and uh, I was on vacation, actually. Yeah. 
So I just I just got me some grape juice and some crackers, and I, I observed the Lord's Supper myself. Have you seen there's a company that's marketing these things? It's got a cracker yeah. and, and grape juice and a little sort of a, like, I mean, sort of space like travel technology. Kit. Right. Yeah, you take it with you, and you uh-huh. got it, and just pop the top on it, and you're ready. Yeah, I don't think that works. Okay. All right, so I, I would say I agree with Chris. He's, I think he's got a couple important elements there. The, well, the elements are important and in the assembly oh, yeah, part. Right, two, right. two important considerations. The elements of his email on the elements was really good. Yeah, we got a couple emails just dealing with that Sunday night question. Yeah, and uh, we've got uh, Randy in Michigan. Is this Randy in Michigan? It is Randy in Michigan. Okay, uh, Randy, thanks for – yeah, 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 Randy, good. Uh, I didn't recognize the email, the address. Randy says it's got to be the right day of the week. The first day of the week is when the called-out church came together to partake the Lord's Supper in the first century, Acts 20, verse 7, and also to give, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. The emblems for the Lord's Supper is the unleavened bread representing the body of our Lord Jesus gave us, and the fruit of the vines representing the blood Jesus gave us to wash our sins. So also, uh, there would be singing, praying, and teaching. So I think he's right. It's got to be on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, we already read that. There's an interesting comment. One of the first comments in the chat room, Jacob, guess 31 says, there are some who believe that examples are not binding unless there is a specific command stating that we are to keep the example as it stands. Therefore, Acts 20, verse 7 gives us the example, but because there's no command stating that we are to take it only on the first day of the week, this example does not have to be kept. Instead, for them, that is those who make this point, the command is 1 Corinthians 11:26. So any time we partake of the Lord's Supper is fine, but to limit it only to the first day is wrong, according to these people who say. All right. Now, this is a question about establishing Bible authority. Yes. And, and so we don't want to get way off on that. But I, I, I tell you what, I, I think they're wrong about that, that. I don't think you have to have a command to back up an example. If you if you say that, then the examples are effectively meaningless. If you, yeah. you, you know you, the examples don't mean anything at all if you've got a command. Right. But in Philippians uh, chapter uh, four, Philippians chapter four, verse nine, Paul said, "Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you." Paul said that his example was authoritative and binding. It's on an equal plane as those others, yeah. according to that passage. Yeah, and he was he was at that assembly in Acts 20, verse 7. So we saw Paul him do there. it on the first day of the week. So We ought it. to do it on the first day of the week. Yeah. Okay. All right, so can you think of any others? Uh, uh, that's, that's the sum total of our uh, emailer c- contributions concerning essential things. Can you think of... Uh, anything else? That's on the outward, on the corporate observance. Let's talk about the inward quickly before we... Uh, can we squeeze it in? Or do yeah, you want yeah. To? Let's talk about because we got a we got a time schedule here tonight. Yeah, I, we may not get this done, but obviously, what we do inwardly has to do with our heart, our 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 sincerity, our genuineness, our spirituality. First Corinthians eleven is an important text. Lots of Christians will recognize. Often, this is read on Sunday when we observe the Lord's Supper. He says uh, he tells them that in verses twenty four and twenty five that you you that you take the bread, you take the the cup. He says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So we're supposed to do it in remembrance of Jesus, showing his death, so it will not be forgot that he sacrificed his life on the cross for our sins uh we're to we're to consider ourselves obviously it involves a lot of introspection in the process uh you got to discern the lord's body you got to be concentrating on what you're doing when you do it yeah all right let's, uh, let's see let's see what chris says quickly he says okay. we'll take the lord's supper we're to remember him and his sacrifice luke 22 verse 19 we're to use this as a time of self-examination he references first corinthians 11 verse 28 as you said uh, taking the supper is for Christians. To take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner means doing it in an irre- irre- irreverent manner and not remembering the reason for this part of, of worship. The Corinthian church was not taking the supper properly and being irreverent in their practice as evidence in the preceding and following verses of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Yeah. Let's, let's take our break real quick, Jacob, and when we come back, let's talk just a little bit more about that unworthy observance yeah. of the Lord's Supper. Right, because there's some confusion about that. 
and you hear it expressed yeah. often when people are up making comments before uh, the congregation on right. Sunday morning. All right. right, let's take a break, and we'll get your comments on the other side. And the questions are coming in, too, in the chat room, so we're going to have to hurry to get through those. You may want to discuss some of those questions. John is uh, stirring the pot in the chat room tonight, and so you might want to comment on John's question there. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Do you remember when churches taught the truth in a straightforward and direct way with no sugarcoating? Can you recall when homosexuality was plainly condemned and unscriptural divorce and remarriage was not tolerated? Can you think back to a time when you heard hard sermons on moral issues like dancing, immodest stress, and filthy movies? Do you long for a return to the kind of teaching and preaching that you heard 30 or 40 years ago? The College View Church is trying hard to maintain the same moral principles that have been associated with God's people throughout the ages. They want to hold the line against the drifting that is characterized in so many churches today. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's not enough to do your best. You must know what to do and then do your best. If a million people say a foolish thing, it's still a foolish thing. Blessed is the man who, having nothing to say, abstains from giving us wordy evidence of the fact. The man who is waiting for something to turn up should start with his shirt sleeves. Hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, and some don't turn up at all. People will remember you for what you did, not for what you planned to do. Many persons have a wrong idea of what constitutes true happiness. It's not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. One thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. Man, I wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about the Lord's Supper. The chat room is going to be busy tonight, and if you're not signed in, uh, you can tell if you're not signed in. If you see me to the right of the chat window that you are not signed in, you need to sign in. Using the, the buttons at the bottom of the chat window is simple. No private or personal information is required. You don't even have to use your real name. You can uh, assume the name that is given to you by default there if you'd like, but it'll at least sign you in so you can join in the discussion with other listeners. We talk about the Lord's Supper tonight and some attitudes that we need to have. As you mentioned before the break, we've got to take this in a worthy manner. What does the Scripture tell us about that worthy manner? Yeah. Uh, notice First 1 Corinthians 11, it says... Whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him take of that bread, eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice the unworthy, unworthily is an adverb, mm-hmm. the manner of partaking. Okay. It's, this is not saying, I think the confusion some make, Jacob, that you referred to earlier, some people think, Oh, man, I, I I committed some sins this week. I'm not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Right. That's not what this is saying. Right. None of us are worthy. Yes. All of us are sinners. If, if, you had to, if you had to be a perfect individual to take the Lord's Supper, nobody would ever take it. Right. So this is not saying you have to be worthy to take the Lord's Supper. This is saying that when you take it, take it in a worthy manner or worthily. I think the New American Standard Version there says in a worthy manner. So this has to do with the manner of partaking it. And it specifies what that manner is. You right. need to be discerning the Lord's body. You've got to right. be thinking about Jesus. If I'm taking it and my mind is wandering about where I'm going for lunch right as soon as services are over or right. what, I'm, you know, what I'm going to watch on TV, what ball game is going to be on this afternoon, then I'm not partaking in a worthy manner. Right. Okay. And verse 30, we stop at verse 29 often, but verse 30 is a continuation of the thought. If you don't take of it worthily, uh, then uh, it will cause you spiritual harm. And uh, and you, you won't get the benefit of uh, of this, the supper and the memorial as God has intended it. Dave, we got an email from Brad that, that has just come in, uh, in in Athens, Alabama. He says that you need to have a focused mind, undistracted by worldly concerns. The Lord's Supper is a memorial, 1 Corinthians 11:24. It is disrespectful to let anyone's mind wander to just anything during a memorial, especially the Lamb of God. This appears to be the idea that Paul was getting at when he insisted that the Corinthians take it worthily. Maintaining a respectful, commemorative attitude as opposed to the riotous party the Corinthians were throwing, 
None of us is worthy in the sense that we deserve Christ's sacrifice, so keeping the proper attitude is the only thing that makes sense. Nevertheless, having said that, to waltz into church after having participated unrepentantly in sin demonstrates a lack of respect for Jesus' sacrifice. That also would be an unworthy manner of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Oh, that's true. So Brad is adding, I I wouldn't disagree with him, that if, if I'm blatantly sinning and know it and refuse to repent, then... You're not really discerning the Lord's body. I mean, yeah. you're not. You're, you're, you're not. Well, he, the Hebrew writer says, "I'm crucifying afresh the Son right. of God right. when I continue in sin and won't repent." Right. So that would that I think that would come to play too. All right. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Brad, for your comments tonight. Brad's in the chat room now, so appreciate uh, Brad for being out there as well. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is toll free. The best way for your thoughts to be known tonight is to do that on the phone. It is toll free, and the line is open now as we talk about the Lord's Supper. There was a question in the chat room. And we said that this had to be done in the assembly. We felt that it should be done in the assembly. Yeah. Uh, John had asked. Yeah, and Anthony responded. uh, uh, He says, John had asked, how about a bunch of Christians who travel abroad and find a spot on Sunday to have a worship service to partake the Lord's Supper? They are not worshiping with an established church. In other words, can a person partake of the supper when not present with an established congregation? And Brad answered that in the first part of question one. He said... uh, it should be done when you come together. Uh, the Lord's Supper is not to be observed by oneself, but rather always in a corporate fashion. Now, does this mean that it is only authorized in the co- a gathering of an established church? Brad says, I suspect not, because I can imagine that, for instance, Paul and Silas would not always have had an established church to meet with as they traveled on their preaching journeys. It is reasonable, then, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy may have partaken together by themselves. Still, that is not justification for one to stay home and observe by himself. That was Brad's thinking on that. Yeah, Anthony, your thoughts. You got you were sort of bat, yeah, uh, batting that around. I was kind of going uh, playing on both sides of the plate on that issue. But, hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that I don't think the Scripture supports the idea of me as an individual uh, doing this. I, I, I don't think the Scripture supports that. Um, but I kind of think I think I agree with Brad. Um, you know, I, I can see Paul and, and the other apostles as they're traveling, meeting with different groups of Christians that may or may not have had a, what we would consider an established church. And then if you say, well, it has to be established, well, what does established mean? Uh, yeah, you can't, I don't think you could go to the Bible to find criteria for for what established means, but I, I understand and appreciate the thought behind that, and I think there's, you know, we don't want to get into the idea of, well, I can just grab some people and let's go have the Lord's Supper. Right. See? So. Yeah, I think some of that, some of the determination there would be what's your motive in doing that. You know, I really want to go to the lake Sunday, and there's several of us who do. Mm-hmm. And if 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 we if we hang around here to go to go to church, we're not going to have any time at the lake Sunday afternoon. But we're going to go out there first thing. A floating church? And, yeah, maybe what we'll do is we'll pull over all of our boats together out there in the middle of the lake. A flotilla. We'll have a flotilla of Christians, and we'll we'll grab a cracker and a, and a cup of juice, and mm. we'll call it the Lord's Supper, and we'll say we've done our duty. I think that's I, – I, I wouldn't argue so much about the assembly as I would be the attitude that prompts that kind of action. I think I, that would be condemnable. Okay. I have done that before. I remember first preaching trip that Phil Morgan and I made to Russia. We, there was no church there. There wasn't any church to our knowledge in the whole country of Russia. Uh, and there were certainly no saints for us to assemble with. And so we took provisions with us to observe the Lord's Supper. We held a worship service. We sang and prayed. And we observed the Lord's Supper. Uh, right, Just the two of us. And I And I didn't think it was wrong. I still don't think it was wrong in that context all right i've heard the argument made that uh, you need to uh you also would need to contribute on the first day of the week and so how could you contribute if there was not a treasury or established congregation well in 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 that circumstance then i made provision to make sure that my contribution was at home where i have obligations to support the local work as a member of that congregation All right. It's it's a tough it question. Gonna be. There, that's going to be, and there, and there will be some uh, there will be some judgment calls on some of these issues we're yeah, talking about tonight. Yeah, yeah. And you definitely want to do what uh, that you are convicted is the the right way. 
I definitely don't want to violate your conscience on uh, issues. But the like main that. thing on the unworthily is uh, Paul was saying you got to take it in a manner that's worthy. He's not saying you have to be worthy to take it because that, that would probably, and I think, uh, certainly. Eliminate all observers. All right, John has almost totally derailed our program tonight, but we're going to pull it back to on course here as we talk about uh, inward requirements. And Randy in Michigan says, here are some attitudes that could hinder us or take the Lord's Supper uh, uh, in an unworthy manner. Pride, Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Selfishness, Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and I live life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Estrangement, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Division, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 17 through 21. Irreverence, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. So those attitudes, uh, Randy says, could hinder so us. So wrong attitudes. But Randy is emphasizing this. You've got to inwardly. Be yes. thinking right, think right. the Lord's Supper scripturally. So okay. I think you're right, Randy. Okay. All right. Uh, and I know, by the way, that that was tongue-in-cheek when you said that John had Oh, no, out. I'm just kidding. Yeah, sorry, John. I was just kidding. <laughs> we appreciate John. Yeah, no, that's a good discussion. Good discussion. Yeah. And, and and some of you all in the chat room are going to get to discuss some things there that we probably won't get to cover all of what you're saying, but keep it up. Okay. David keep is going David's going to pose the next question. Could I go visit someone in the hospital and bring the Lord's Supper? Uh, you know, a lot of congregations used to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, again, if 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 there were several Christians present who could participate in unison, I think taking the Lord's Supper must be done in unison with other Christians. I think we can say that at, at a minimum. There's a coming together. There's right. undoubtedly a coming together that must take place. If I am absolutely by myself on the Lord's Day, I don't think I can scripturally take the Lord's Supper. But if I'm in unison with some other Christians, I think... That in certain circumstances, at least, I think I can. The question I have about taking the Lord's Supper to a sick person in the hospital is, I think that that suggests the notion that the Lord's Supper is a more important act of worship than anything else we do. Yeah. No, so we're going to carry the Lord's Supper to this sick person in the hospital, but we're not going to do the other acts of worship that we do on the first day of the week. And I don't, I don't think that's consistent. Now, if you're going to have a whole worship service with this sick person who's in the hospital, that'd be one thing. But if you're just going to go there and spend five minutes and, and so-called administer the Lord's Supper right, to right, him, right. So, I, 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 I think that's flawed thinking. Okay. Let us know your thoughts. I appreciate uh, that uh, question, David, and maybe we'll have some other comments in the chat room. Eight, Brad, seven, Brad says seven. that he's done it too, but has since decided it's not authorized. Doing so in the hospital is not really a corporate gathering for worship. Okay. Thank you, Brad, for chiming in on that. All right, so I think we and we're up to almost break time, but we've and we've got the first question roughly covered. Yeah. We, we had the the next question is is sort of a is sort of a follow up to that. What about the first day of the week? Yeah. Uh, we ask a question. If I can find my where are my our second question was, what's your best argument in support of observing the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and how do you respond to those who say that taking it every Sunday diminishes the significance of, of it in people's mind? Okay, we're already behind schedule. So we'll need to cover. We'll need to cover that and number. You want to go, you want to, go to our halftime break and then let's we'll, do that. We'll okay. have to cover that one and the argument for taking one cup from okay. one cup. No. All right, all right. And I don't think we I don't think we've got anybody tonight who's going to argue pro the one cup. So hopefully we can go. Hopefully that we'll, we'll do those real quick in the next segment. All right, we'll go to this week's bullet point and come back and continue the discussion after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues in just a minute. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Selfish and self-centered. That's what people say about him. I must admit, my impressions of him are very similar. He seems really interested only in himself. Whenever you engage him in a conversation, it always ends up being about him and his interest. I can remember very few occasions when he ever expressed much interest in anyone else, their family, their work, and so forth. To tell you the truth, the guy's pretty hard to like. Do you know someone like that description? Most of us do, and sadly, it fits far too many people these days. The numbers are growing. We live in a selfish, self-centered society. This presents a real challenge for Christians. Here's how Jesus said we ought to be. In Mark 9, verse 44, he said, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. In Matthew 23, verse 11, he said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. 
Our goal should be to serve, not be served. We need to look for opportunities to serve one another using our own unique abilities to help and encourage. The world tempts us to be just the opposite. Even the best counseling that worldly advisors can give urges us to make ourselves happy and look out for number one. Spend some time in careful examination. Are you guilty of putting yourself first? Honestly evaluate your case. Are you doing all you can to help others even when it isn't easy to do so? Do you show a genuine interest in your friends and brethren? Are you more concerned with what you can do for them or what they can do for you? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about the Lord's Supper, and we're going to talk about observing it every Sunday. And yeah, what's the arguments for every Sunday observance? we got Chris in Atlanta says, We see from Acts 20, verse 7, it's to be done on the first day of the week when we come together. To say taking the supper every Sunday diminishes the significance, falls flat. If that is happening for you, then you're not truly reflecting on the sacrifice and what it means for us. Taking the supper is more than drinking some juice and eating a cracker. We must take the responsibility to put forth the effort to properly partake. If you want to use that excuse for not taking the Lord's Supper, then why do we sing every Sunday, preach every Sunday, and pray? Wouldn't that be just like, just as likely to lose its significance? That's going to be my answer exactly. Chris, Chris is uh, always uh, taking my thunder because he's answering just as I would answer, and I appreciate that in him. He... He is spot on here. If it if it diminishes the significance of it, then why do we come? Why do we even worship every Sunday? Why don't we just worship once a month, or maybe every three months, have a worship service? Boy, it'd be real special. Wouldn't it be just extra special yeah. if we did it that way? That's silliness. There must be some Christians who have that idea, though. I think so. <laughs> maybe that's why they don't attend. Uh, and Randy says the first century Christians came together on the first day of the week, and the first day of the week comes every week. Also, mankind seems to forget. Uh, more than he remembers the important things, mankind needs to remember that Jesus died for all mankind, and he is mankind's only Savior. Okay. Brad says the only day that we see disciples observing the Lord's Supper is on the first day of the week, so then we should do the same. Furthermore, as if there's no specific Sunday of the month specified, it's reasonable to conclude that it was done every Sunday. You know, Acts 20, verse 7 is the verse. That's the verse that tells us what day the Christians were doing. It's the only verse we have, but it tells us, with the inspired Apostle Paul in the assembly, they met on the first day of week to take the Lord's Supper. Yeah. The argument is, since it doesn't specify that it was the first Sunday of the month or the second Sunday after the spring uh, solstice, you know, since it doesn't specify that it was a specific Sunday of a month or of a quarter of the year, then you have to conclude that this was a regular practice every first day of the week. And the old example of... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy in the Old Testament. That's Exodus 20, verse 8. It's close uh, to Acts 20, verse 7. So, so in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, yeah. remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. What did the, what did the Israelites understand? Yeah, they, every time there was a Sabbath day, keep it holy. Right. It didn't specify one, so it meant do it every right. time. Right. And so since Acts 20, verse 7 doesn't specify one Sunday, it's clear that it was the regular practice. Now, that's the only verse, and some people get pretty bent out of shape that, Oh, you know, you only got one verse. Well, how many verses do you need? Right. Would two be enough? Three? Right. Ten? How many? What's your requirement? Oh, God, you didn't. You only told me once, God. That's why I didn't do it. Yeah. Um, let me read you some quotes. Uh, the Didache, dated in 95 A.D. The who? Didache. It's one of the one of the, the writings of the early church, so-called early church fathers. Okay. The uninspired uninspired writings. It took but, him a long time to sign his name. I'm surprised he could write anything else. Well, this is a compilation. Okay. But it indicates Christians were to come together on the first day of the week to break bread. In other words, we've got some uninspired first century mm. writings saying that's what they were doing. Okay. Justin Martyr, dating about 150 A.D., records how Christians assembled on Sunday and partook the supper. Uh, B.W. Johnson in his People's New Testament said the early church writers from Barnabas, Justin Martyr, Arrhenius to Clement of Alexander, Origen, and Cyprian all with one consent declared that the church observed the first day of the week. They are equally agreed that the Lord's Supper was observed weekly on the first day of the week. And then we got a he, uh, Mark Copeland has put this together. He's got a number of scholars who are on board. Uh, Augustus Neander, a Lutheran, wrote, As we have already remarked, the celebration of the Lord's Supper was still held to constitute an essential part of the divine worship every Sunday, as appears from Justin Martyr, A.D. 150. Uh, 
Thomas Scott, a Presbyterian, said this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, seems to have been administered every Lord's Day and probably no professed Christian absented themselves. Um, A.C. Hervey, an Episcopalian, said this also is an important example of weekly communion as the practice of the first Christians. Uh, Doddridge, a Congregationalist, said it is well known that the primitive Christians administered the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. So uh, what you okay, got that, there is that pretty. Doesn't, that doesn't prove. No, but what you got the, there is you got a pretty unanimous consent of historians that that was the practice of the early church. It doesn't. It doesn't. Again, doesn't prove what we're saying, but it does uh, uh, line up and harmonize with what we're saying. I like John's argument in first uh, in the chat room. He says in First Corinthians sixteen verses one and two, it is understood that the brethren were gathering together every week. They were to continue this until Paul comes. Now consider the worship scene in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It would seem reasonable that 1 Corinthians chapter 16 refers to the same worship service involving chapter 14 and the rules for edification of the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. Spot on, John. Spot on. That's exactly right. And you know what's interesting to me? There are churches, denominational groups in particular, they don't believe in observing the Lord's Supper every Sunday. But you know what they do do every Sunday? Take, the, Take yeah. up a collection. If they can reason from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, that that means take up a collection every Sunday, yeah. then the exact same reasoning would have them taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday, but they don't do it. Huh, interesting, interesting. Okay, well, let's go on. Real quickly, Brad, i got to get Brad's comment yeah, here. Brad. He says, what about you know that taking it every Sunday diminishes it? Yes. He says, my response is to ask why the same logic does not apply to going to church every Sunday or even prayer and Bible study on a daily basis. In other words, why does weekly worship not diminish the significance of worship? Why do daily prayer and Bible study not diminish the significance of them? By that logic, one simply turns weekly worship into a ritual. It would be much more meaningful for one to worship, say, only monthly. And clearly, prayer and Bible reading are just rote if done daily. Bi-weekly occasions in prayer and in God's Word would make it much more meaningful. Of course, all of that is uh, tongue-in-cheek. He says, bottom line, anything becomes rote or vainly repetitive if you let it. The responsibility each of us has is to be engaged every time, refusing simply to put ourselves on autopilot through the Lord's Supper or prayer or worship or Bible reading or anything else for that matter. Well, and I I don't want to judge Modus, but I have to wonder if those who make this argument are making the argument to justify their practice or they have modified their practice because they are sincerely convicted that if they did it every week, it would uh, sort of soften uh, the effect of it. I think they're probably going back in hindsight and trying to find reasons to justify only taking it once or twice a year. Thank you, right. All right. Now, quickly, what one about cup. one cup? One cup. What about those who teach one cup? Are are they right or wrong? Chris in Atlanta said, I don't believe it's necessarily wrong to use one cup, but from my study and understanding of the scriptures, it's not required that we use one cup. In Matthew 26, Jesus commanded them not to drink the container, but the contents of the can- container. Requiring one cup are we placing the emphasis on the container over the contents, the symbol of Jesus' blood? Actually, the one cup people do. They believe that yes. the cup represents the covenant. Actually, they, they make it a third element of the Lord's Supper. Right. That the cup is the covenant, they right. say. Additionally, Luke twenty two seventeen states that Jesus said, speaking of the cup, take this and divide it among yourselves, which indicates to me that they use multiple containers. I think I think Chris is right there in Luke twenty two seventeen. I, that would be one of the arguments I would make. When Jesus said... Uh, when he spoke of the cup, it is the idea of metonymy, using something, stating one thing yes. that's closely associated with another by way of reference to it. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, do you ever hear, uh, we do this all the time, bring a covered dish to the supper. What are, you, what are we talking about there? We're not talking about a dish. We're not asking people to just bring dishes. We're talking about bring us some food in a covered yes. dish. The covered dish is used as by metonymy to refer to the food in it. Or how about how often in the news have we heard, today the White House said. Oh, yeah. You know, well, is the White House talking? No, that means that the presidential administration, the executive branch of government, has, has made a statement in okay. regards to something or another. Okay. That's exactly and There's a whole bunch of references of the, the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all reference this. But just look at Luke's account real quick. Jesus took the cup, he took the cup and gave it and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Did they divide the cup or the contents? 
Did they take a hammer and break the cup up and give a piece Ooh, of it? Good point. He, he told them to divide the cup. Right. Well, were they dividing the cup or the contents? They're clearly dividing the contents. For I say to you that I want a drink of the fruit of the vine. The cup was now the fruit of the vine. So now he's talking about clearly talking about what was in the cup. Using them interchangeably. Until the kingdom of God come. And he took bread and gave thanks, break it, gave to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for, for many. So they were to divide the cup which is the contents. I think there's a real possibility there that, as Chris said, they used separate containers. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, that we've referenced several times, in verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. How do you drink a cup, literally? I'd like to know that. You you, only, you obviously drink the contents. Yeah. It's, it's metonymy. It's a figure of speech. It's very common. And, and so it's a reference to the fruit of the vine, not to the container literally. All right. So I think that quickly answers that, Jacob. And, that, okay. and uh, uh, let's see, we've got a couple of emails. Uh, we've got Chris's email, and uh, then that's it. I think I got one from Brad here. Too. Yeah, go, Brad. Go, go ahead and read Chris. Uh, well, you already read Chris. Oh, did I read Yeah, t- you read Chris. Oh, we well, already. Okay, here's yeah. what Brad Chris said. Does, yeah. Here's what Brad said. Um in Luke's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus passes around the cup to, divide, to be divided out among the disciples before they drink. That tells me that it's not important whether the juice is in one container or many. By the way, historical reference indicates that in a Passover meal observance of, of the Jews, we know historically that every participant at the supper would have had their own drinking vessel. Mm. That's known historically. Okay. So uh, what Luke says about take this and divide it among yourselves, they probably took it and poured some into each one of their individual glasses. Similarly, one who argues for one cup usually argues for just one loaf. I think the same logic applies. If there's nothing wrong with multiple cups, why would there be anything wrong with multiple loaves? Finally, logistically, one cup and one loaf break down with large numbers. We know that the church was 3,000, then 5,000 in Jerusalem in its first days. How big must a cup and a loaf be to be divided among 5,000? Therefore, while one cup and one loaf are certainly legitimate ways to participate, binding that method is a bridge too far. I think he's right. I think that's a great argument. I mean, how could the church at Jerusalem have observed one cup? It's it's physically not possible. All right. Quickly, before we go to our break, um, we have several comments that we'll probably miss. Brad says, I had someone say to me that a weekly Lord's Supper makes it just a ritual. I responded, but if it is a ritual, uh, but it is a ritual. He answered, you know what I mean. Well, of course I did. But let's not change the meaning of words. A ritual or rite has almost bound up uh, in the idea of something being special. Something can be wrote, but I think there is something that is just a ritual. And guest 31 says, uh, you know, we can uh, ask some really interesting and good questions concerning many things. However, only one thing man and their questions are really good for is raising doubt. A gray area is created by others' questions and that, uh, and what they d- believe to be clever. God perfectly under- understands all things and gave us scripture so we can be complete. For 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We need to study and have a good understanding. And that is where we should focus, not on man's clever queries. And uh, this is how denominations create ways to do their own thing. All right, let's take a break, and we'll go a little early, and that'll give us enough time for the last question. Okay, our last question is going to be about the Sunday night observance of the Lord's Supper. That's been divisive among some of our own brethren, so let's see what we can let's see what we can say about that. I'm not imagining we can solve the issue, but we'll, we'll comment. Well, we'll take your thoughts, and I think we'll probably have differing views in the chat room, and so uh, we'll look forward to those. And uh, better yet, the phone line is open. We're ready to hear from you, 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem much more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach the truth? Does it seem the sermons you are hearing each week could have easily be given at a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin and at the end of the sermon you knew by book, chapter, and verse what the preacher was talking about and why? The Cause You Church is still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. They invite you to investigate for yourself. Come and see. Visit the College You Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The Allen Goodmacher Institute reports that there have been over 50 million abortions performed in the United States since 1973, the year the Supreme Court issued the Roe v. Wade decision ushering in legal abortions nationwide. 
According to Guttbacher, 35% of all U.S. women will have had an abortion by age 45. The report also shows that 93% of all abortions occur for, quote, social reasons, such as a mother's decision that the child is unwanted or inconvenient. That information is via CNS News. The Word of God says in Proverbs 6, beginning verse 16, Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Was that over one in three women will have an abortion? Uh, what did it say? Uh, 35%? 35, yeah. That's unbelievable. By age 45, yeah. Unbelievable. All right, real quickly, we've got to get to this question about the Sunday night Lord's Supper. I know a number of people want to comment about this. We've got more email responses on this than the others. Uh, Bob in Indianapolis, Indiana says, I don't recall any example in the Bible of a congregation having two services on the first day. While it may be considered one of those judgment things, it does come with questions about communion, giving. It seems that we've kind of created a problem for ourselves, doesn't it? And he speaks of the congregation where he attends uh, does not observe communion or giving on the Sunday night service. Uh, he says it's the only congregation in the area that he's aware of. Uh, and an elder said we can have worship and not have all five elements of worship. For example, Wednesday is worship. Of course, that's not the first day of the week either. Uh, he says then there's another group that he knows of in Indiana that they separate those who want to take the communion from everybody else so that all are separated take it together of course that's not the church at that point so i don't know how they address that issue so bob okay. uh, has some thoughts on that all right wade uh, from hampshire tennessee says the lord's supper is an essential part of the service the disciples met together specifically to partake of it in acts 20 verse 7 the disciples were condemned in first corinthians 11 27 for disgracing the supper the question is not should we partake of the supper or even when because we've already established that the question at large is is the supper a congregational act or is it an individual act I would maintain that it is both. In 1 Corinthians 11:27, Paul condemns the person for violating the supper. However, verse 20 says, therefore, when you, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. The indication here is that they were supposed to be eating the Lord's Supper when they came together. I recently heard someone say that when they are out and can't find a church, they just take the Lord's Supper in a motel room. I'm not sure that was the intent of the supper. The intent for us was to be together when we took it and take it together. If some of us are taking it on Sunday morning and some on Sunday night, we are not taking it together. We are taking it when we take it, but we're not taking it together. I can compare this to singing. We are commanded to sing together. Uh, could you imagine some are singing on Sunday morning and then another group singing on Sunday evening? We don't endorse choirs for just this reason. It doesn't make so much sense. We're not doing it together when we are not doing it together when we should do it. All right. So Wade, Wade uh, expresses an attitude, uh, an opinion there that he thinks it's wrong. And Chris in Atlanta says, I support it. That is the partaking of the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening. We are commanded to worship on the first day of the week as long as it is done together and as a part of worship, then it is proper. Some people are unable to attend morning worship, and this provides a good opportunity for them to obey God and take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Thank All you right. for those comments, uh, Chris. All right. Let's, let's talk about this just a little bit. Uh, uh, I don't know, Jake, if you have real reservations about the Sunday night Lord's Supper. I'm not a fan. Uh, I think I have less reservations than you have about the Sunday night Lord's Supper. Okay. My personal preference is I wish it wasn't even necessary. I wish we didn't even, you know, I wish it was such that when we had an assembly, all could be there. And unfortunately, it is a fact that if by virtue of picking a time uh-huh. on a given day, the first day, right, it, it's almost unavoidable that you're going to be picking a time when not everybody can be there, if, if it's a congregation of any size at all. If yep. you have a real small congregation, it shouldn't be a problem. Right. But if, if it's a, a, a congregation of any size at all, then you're, you're almost unavoidably going to be picking a time when probably somebody's going to be excluded for various reasons. Okay. You could think of a hundred reasons what might keep somebody from being there at, at, at a certain hour of the day. Okay. That being the case... Uh, Here's the argument that I think I can make in support of offering the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening. Now, right. again, I, I, I'm not, I don't feel real strongly bound to justify it. However, we are members of a congregation here at College View. We do we we do offer the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening, so there ought to be some. I, I think there ought to be some justification available for why we're doing that. Okay. 
Earlier in our program, we talked about what are the essential elements corporately yeah. that have to be in place for a scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper. We said it has to be on Sunday. It has to have the right elements for the vine, unleavened bread. It has to be in the assembly of the saints. Did you notice that in making that list, we did not say that everybody present who's a Christian has to participate? We didn't say that. And I don't think you could enforce that. I don't think there would be any way to police that. What if What if we said, okay, so we're having the Lord's Supper. There's about 100 people assembled. And one guy in the back row, he, he's, he's feeling bad. He's got that mistaken idea that he's not worthy. You know, he sinned this week. He feels not worthy. He's he, he's wrong, as we said earlier. He's he's misinterpreting First Corinthians eleven twenty seven. But he said, "I just don't feel worthy to participate." We didn't even know. those of us who were sitting in the front rows didn't know that that guy in the back row he's Christian and he was in the assembly and he didn't partake of it. Therefore, not all the Christians in the assembly partook of it on Sunday morning. Did that did that cause us all to be out of kilter? In other words, did that disallow the whole observance because not every Christian present observed the Lord's Supper? I don't know anybody who would argue that. We cannot put on our list of essential elements for observing the Lord's Supper. We cannot put on the list of things absolutely necessary to be in place that every Christian present must participate. You can't add that to the list. Now, that being the case, we roll around to Sunday night. It's Sunday. We still have the unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. It's still in the assembly of the saints. Not everybody is participating, but we already said you can't demand that. You can't demand that everybody must be partaking in order for it to be a scriptural observance. And so for that reason, I argue that you can't say it's wrong. You can't say it's unscriptural. That's my thinking on it. Again, I'm not a huge fan. And one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan is what a lot of people will often bring up. There are a lot of abuses of it. I really wanted to go to the Titans football game in Nashville Sunday, uh, and it starts at noon. And you got to get there early if you're going to, you know, if you're going to beat the, the, right. the traffic. Right. So I'm going to go to the football game, but it'll get done in time that I can get back here by six o'clock and I can observe the Lord's Supper in the evening worship. I'm going to miss on purpose Sunday morning, but I know I can get there and, and they'll offer me the Lord's Supper. I'm against all such abuses as that. And I think that's a lot of reasons a lot of people are against the Sunday night observance because it's abused. We're, I, I hope all would agree we're, we, we oppose those abuses. Okay. I'll offer a, a, a little bit of a different uh, question for you. What about uh, you said it does, it's not required that all in the assembly take it, but is it, re, is it required that you take it with someone else? Could you take it by yourself? Because uh, like, it happens on Sunday night that there's one person who hasn't taken it, and so he raises his yeah, hand, yeah. and there's one person taking the Lord's Supper. Yeah, on Sunday. I see. With the way I the way I'm looking at it is, it's still in the assembly. So there's but, a commonality, there's a joint participation, there's even a tarrying for one another. In other words, we're prolonging the Sunday evening worship service to make it possible for that one guy to observe the Lord's Supper. So I I would argue that. It's not the it's not the partaking in unison. It's the in the assembly aspect that's essential, and so I'm saying it's still in the assembly on Sunday night. Again, you don't have to press me too hard. You can get me to back up real easy because I'm okay. not a big fan. But yeah. I'm saying I can see I can see how it's justifiable from the aspect of all the essential parts are present on Sunday night as they were on Sunday morning. All right, uh, I'll pose another argument that's made. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, you come together into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper, the implication that it was to eat the Lord's Supper. The idea is that they were coming together with that being a, a, a pr- purpose of their assembly. But uh, in response, I would say that is a purpose of what we come together on Sunday night for. We make specific provision for it. So it's clear that there, that is a purposeful part of what we're doing on Sunday night. Anthony, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'm with Greg on saying I'm not a big fan of it. Um, you know, I, but I, I do think you know the logic he's presenting makes a lot of sense. I just, um, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan, but um, I, I do think the abuses are an issue. I think, and we were talking about this in the chat room, 
I almost get the feeling that a lot of people consider the Lord's Supper as a superstition that they they can't the sun can't set on Sunday night without them eating some oh. bread and some grape juice and that's why they really want to do it offer it in the Sunday evening service because they can't fathom the idea of going a Sunday without doing it yeah. but if you look at it sort of in your point of view Jacob that we're we're having this supper we announce you know this is the time we're doing it if you can't be there okay you can't be there either you had an excuse that got it recognized right, right. and you excused you from the singing that you missed sunday morning and the and the praying and and everything else yeah. and therefore you're excused uh so is it really necessary for sunday evening it would yeah. be another another question yeah i i do have to say i i'm not i mean i the whole tarrying issue i think that could be a longer discussion in itself because I've tried to, in my own mind, to maybe even make myself feel better. I try to imagine that, let's say, uh, we're having a big family meal, a big giant spread, and there's a family member who's working late, and they can't be there on time to have this big feast with us. But we leave a plate prepared for them, and when they do come in, we all gather around, and we chit-chat, and we sit, and we commune with them while they're, they're the only ones eating, you know. So... That's kind of how I try to almost make myself feel better because I don't really – I'm not a big fan of the idea, but the whole tarrying thing, I think, um, you know, maybe that's what I, how I think of it, that the supper, we, we left it there. The food is there, and we're sort of communing with them, though not directly. But, but still, I, I, would, you know, I would be fine if we didn't do it. Well, you know, the second, the second assembly – is on Sunday is a fairly new thing historically. Right. Actually, that if you traced it back, it came to play after World War II typically in most congregations because starting at the time of the war and thereafter, shift work became yep. common. Yep. It wasn't common before that. And so with shift work, some of, the, some of the members were missing and wanted the chance to observe the Lord's Supper on Sunday. And so that's where this practice, I mean, yep. it's, a, it's a relatively new thing. Historic. I mean, for us, yeah. it's been around all of yeah. our lifetimes, but it's a, it's a relatively new thing, and that's why this question is generated. Again, I'm not a huge fan, and I know that there are bad abuses of it, but I think I can offer a line of reasoning that, in my mind, can justify the practice. Now, let me uh, go to uh, the other side of the coin here and, and talk about an argument that some have uh, posed in defense of this uh, practice, that it is unscriptural to have a worship assembly on Sunday that does not include the Lord's Supper. For instance, if you have a, if you have a Sunday evening service, it is unscriptural for you not to offer the Lord's Supper. I know people who take that. And I, you do too. I, think yeah. I, I, I can't understand that. But it seems like it's becoming more popular. I don't, yeah. I don't understand that. I, I, to me, the whole thing is it's a matter of co- a congregational autonomous decision. Yeah. You're going to offer it once, you're going to offer it twice. I'm willing to grant each congregation the autonomy to make that decision and not try to mandate it. Uh, but I know some who get completely. And this, Jacob, as we said, has been quite a divisive thing. There's congregations even not far from here who've just split wide open over this issue, which I think is absolutely unnecessary. Again, I don't think we're going to resolve the question in people's minds by a few things that we could say tonight. But uh, I do think that people... It, to me, if a person's got it, and there are some people who have a strong conscience against it, right. I'm going to respect their conscience. You can't violate your conscience. I'm going to let them have the exercise of their conscience in that matter. And, and I think we should be tolerant of, of, of that uh, as we go about working together in local congregations. Anthony? Yeah, I, I think that's important. You know, we, we need to come around to the fact that... that uh, need to respect each other's uh consciences and and so forth on the on the issue but it's it's a tricky one i suppose um real quick jake we've got an email from uh uh, don in antioch who asked a related question we're going to put this in the stack for an open forum he says uh concerning john 13 the church of christ along with most other denominations believe that baptism and the lord's supper require a physical act with spiritual significance then why is washing feet just thought of as a spiritual while not requiring the physical act are those denominations that have foot washing services wrong by doing this or do you see it as something that's okay to do although not essential uh that's that's an off topic 
question, but it's an interesting point. We'll put it in the stack of stuff for later. Okay, we will. And uh, appreciate that. Don, Don, if you're listening, you might respond with your practice on that so we know where you're coming from. Are you, do you believe uh, we ought to be washing foot, uh, feet today? And are you participating in that yourself? That might help us with our discussion. Well, Dad, we've had a good discussion on the Lord's Supper, first one in over seven years, and a good yeah. one, and a yeah. long overdue one, and a very important part of our worship. Not any more important than other commands, but it is important, and we need to understand the instructions God has given us on those. Yeah, lots to think about there, and and uh, hopefully we've said some things that will prompt people to spend some time thinking about it. Thanks for the discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And Anthony, thank you for being here. Uh, no Anthony cam tonight. Yeah, sorry, I just didn't feel it quite up. You're to not it feeling tonight. it tonight. Huh? Yeah, I wasn't feeling. You don't it have a, you don't have on your coat and tie. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, but well, your hair, you, but your hair's looking good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. All well, that hair. Yeah, uh, we're glad that you listened to the program tonight. I hope you benefited from our discussion. Maybe you disagree with some of the things we said. Maybe you'd like to add further comments. We'd welcome those anytime. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Or you can do as Don did and suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome your suggestions as well. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.